Hi, you're listening to A Smaller Life, and I'm Saskia Feiter. Today, I'm interviewing Maike van Gein. She's an upcoming knitwear designer and has managed to launch herself right into some of the most popular publications out there. I'm curious to learn from Micah how she's done that and answer the question some of you have asked themselves many, many times. Should I start selling my pattern designs? We are going through the whole process from idea to publication, and Micah sheds a light on her ideas, processes, hiccups, and successes. For any aspiring designer, a fast-track, step-by-step lesson on how to get your first design out there. For any knitter, a fascinating view into the backside of publications like Leida and La Biennale. Have fun. Hi, my name is Saskia. I've got over a decade of experience in running a small business in the needle craft industry, selling pattern and product design, teaching and running a needle craft school. As a small business owner, you're in charge of everything. Branding, marketing, selling, promoting, and cleaning the loop. I'm educated in marketing and photography and learned to do everything else on the job. I'm obsessed with the healing magic of crafting and the power of community. And I'm determined to lift our scene up for the world to notice so they can step away from fast fashion. In a smaller life, we learn from experts in the needle craft, textile, and creative industry big names and small, about what it's actually like to run a small business. Emotional talks with sellers about wins and woes, product and design, conscious decision-making and branding and communication. Why we do it, how we do it, and what we need to become the future of fashion without burning the hell out. A smaller life fights apathy and apparel and aims to inspire you to look at your wardrobe differently. Where do you buy? How do you use your clothes? And can you make some of it yourself? Dreaming big about a world where we rely on value-based businesses, the kindness economy, and where we can fully say, fuck fast fashion. A Smaller Life is Yamol's completely free way for makers and sellers to learn how to be part of a healthier take on clothes and fashion. Yamol offers an online community where they can connect and inspire each other. Monthly topics with challenges for makers, coaching and support for sellers. We will move the needle. For more information, go to ja-wol.com. Yavol! Hey, Micah, it's so good to have you on the show. This podcast is for makers and for sellers to learn about what it's like to run a business in the fiber and needlecraft industry. You have such a unique perspective of being the new chipper on the block with your business is almost still a baby, but at the same time, you've landed some pretty big publications already. So I thought it would be super interesting for our audience to hear from your perspective. And I'd love to talk to you about designing and life and business aspects of being a knitting pattern designer. Thank you for having me, Seth. You're welcome. So how about we are how about we start with just life in general? Tell me what has your day been like so far? First bringing my daughter to school and then I did a bit of 
designing. Normally I walk in the morning, but because I had a lot of work today, I don't do that. Normally I walk every morning, like an hour, an hour and a half, just to get a bit in shape. I live in a very beautiful area near the woods and the dunes and the sea. So it's absolutely not a punishment to do that. And then around 10, I start working until my daughter comes from school. And then normally I also work in the evening. That's a bit my days, normal days. Yeah, and the, the working now is making patterns or knitting, which is very exciting. And I'm also now following my latest design for La Bienna May. That's a sweater in two gauges, and I've invented a trick for that. I've called it Micah's Fast Forward Fix. So you, you knit the color work on a small gauge, which I think is the most exciting part and interesting part to knit. And then you change for the body and sleeves on a larger gauge. So it goes much quicker. And it all comes from my own impatience as a knitter. <laughs> I like yeah. to knit. But then, you know, you have a nice color work yoke. And then you have to knit all the sleeves and, and body in the same fine gauge. And then I get bored. So I I, I was just think all the time this could be done different and then I invented a little trick so you you change quite we go to half the gauge from 29 till to 14 and a half in this instant in these sweaters I'm stepping in to explain something Micah speaks fluent knit language and she's talking about gauge and yokes and I thought I'd jump in and let you know what that is if you're not a knitter a yoke is the top part of a sweater that covers your neck and shoulders in the front and in the back. And a yoke is typically the part where we use color work in traditional styles. And as you you probably know from Icelandic sweaters where we have the colors in a in a circular area around the neck. And when we talk about gauge, we're talking about that is how knitters figure out how many stitches to cast on to get a certain size or a certain measurement. The amount of stitches that we need to get a standard four inches or 10 centimeters. And what Mike is talking about, she kind of invented a new way to make her knitting less boring. So she loves the color work, but she doesn't like the the plain knitting so much. So what she did is she's designing color work that's done with a finer needle, so smaller stitches, and the rest of the body is done in a bigger needle size. So that means you have to do less knitting to get a certain amount of fabric. I hope that clarifies things a little for you muggles out there. So that goes really much quicker. Mm, so, yeah. And I've been asked to do some workshops in the Netherlands. So I'm also preparing that, which I'm very much looking forward to. Because I used to teach also in Amsterdam and also here in school. That was more like beginners or a bit advanced. So it was always my dream to give lessons or workshops about my own patterns. And now it's going to happen. That's amazing. Let's dive into the pattern uh, work a little bit later on in the conversation. So what would an ideal day look like for you? For me? Yeah, the thing with knitting and designing also. I'm a positive person, so always I always think I can do a lot of things in a day. So I'm always kind of disappointed in the end how much I have been 
doing because knitting is slow and sometimes you have to go back a little to change things or well I'm now working on a pattern with stripes and so it, you do have to make a jogless connection so I've studied a lot on that on how to make that as perfect as possible and that sometimes can take like days or weeks that you're just researching how to do that so yeah but I, I'm always at the end of the day, I think, ah, oh, I should have done more or, yeah. but I just say, I think I have to accept knitting is a slow business. And yeah. as I said, I'm an impatient person. So that's a really fun combination. <laughs> yeah. In a perfect day, would you have more work, more walking in your beautiful surroundings, family time? What would that, what does the balance look like yeah. if you want in a good day? In a good day. Well, I, I would like to work more always because I enjoy my work a lot. And, you know, especially when you're designing, but also when you're pattern making, you're like in this concentration. And sometimes it's a bit difficult to go out of it, you know, get my daughter from school. She's home. And then I sometimes try to work a bit. But of course, that's not so concentrated as when I'm alone. And then I continue in the evening. So, yeah, sometimes I wish I would just have full days of working. But, well, it also has positive sides because in the morning, for instance, when I'm walking, I very often come up with pattern ideas or yeah. the day before I've worked on something and I think like, and then in the morning I'm thinking about it and figuring out how to change it to make it better. Or So the walking is actually not just walking, but for me also a very creative moment often. Plus that it's, I have a very bad back, so it's also very good for me physically to to start the day with walking and to get a bit of yeah movement in the back and yeah also working longer days is nice for the work but for my for my body it's not so good so actually how it's now it's quite a good balance yeah yeah it's, it can be frustrating when you get in that workflow and you're like really into it and it took a while to get in there yeah. and then you're pulled out of that that can be quite frustrating I I see that, but to have that time to get your mind at rest and your body ready for sitting at a desk, because I think that's what you mostly do when you're working, right? You're sitting at a desk or yeah, sitting or in, a, in a crouch or a chair, yeah, yeah. mostly sitting. Yes. So yeah, that, and it's long sitting is not good for my back at all. So I also cannot knit for 10 hours a day. I have sometimes done it. I even work nights through sometimes I do that because I just need the time and also the quietness in the home but that's not so good for for the body for nobody but for nobody no 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 so yeah that's sometimes a bit searching and it also depends my my husband he works in a theater and sometimes he is away all the time so then I'm really limited to the the school hours for work but sometimes he also works at home and then he does the afternoons with my daughter so I work a bit more so it's also, yeah, our our rhythm is never the same. And sometimes I wish it would because, of course, that's more easy if you know just how your week will be. But it also has advantages because, you know, if he's here, I can sneak in some extra work time. And in the weekend, yeah. I also quite often work a bit. And, yeah, for the last few weeks, he hasn't seen me a lot in the evening. I'm like, I'm going to do a little bit of work. <laughs> And I never return downstairs anymore. <laughs> if you, have you ever 
calculated the amount of hours in a week that you are working on average. Yeah, I always had in my, I used to long think like I have 40 hours a week, but then I started calculating and my daughter is from, to school from nine till three, of half past eight till three. And then on Wednesday, only the morning. And I was like, ah, I, I, because I was felt like oh, I have so short time. But then I found out it's not 40 hours a week at all. So, yeah. And with the walking, that's quite an investment, of course, to do that. I do it because I know it's good for me, but it, yeah, it means that I'm not home before 10, 10 30 every morning. So what I, does it boil down to how many hours? Yeah, do I you think, think four hours a day in the daytime and on Wednesday, not if she has an early day. And then I do work at least two hours in the evening, I think. Yeah. So it's not so much. Uh, so it's around 28 hours a week and something yeah. like that that's that's really interesting to know actually it sounds pretty boring and like, but it's really interesting to know what how much time do you actually use to work and when you're talking about when I walk that's kind of the conceptual phase or the the moment when I get my ideas and that's also very important so yeah that gives gives us a lot of insight in how much how much time it's yeah like. Yeah, but in busy periods, it's not enough. And then, you know, when my daughter goes playing with somebody, I work or I work till really late at night. Yeah, I, then I, those 28 hours or what it is, I have to get it from somewhere. So for when I was making the pattern for La Bienna made, it was really tight deadline. I think I did it between February and April, including testing. We'll talk about the designing process in a bit. Because I'm, I'm really interested to see. And I think we also have an audience that's not necessarily a knitter, but could be a, a sewer or just somebody that wants to start a creative business or somebody that does any kind of craft. Yeah. So to get a little bit of in-depth information on the designing process, we'll, we'll go into that next. But first, I wanted to know... Do you think of yourself as a perfectionist and does that kind of help you or work against you when you don't have a lot of time to work? I'm definitely a perfectionist. Yes, I don't stop till I think it's good enough. And yeah, that is two-sided. On one side, I think it pushes you to go a bit further and to search further and to make the best out of things. On the other hand, for yourself, it's sometimes also a bit kind of an enemy especially when you have a, a physical limitation it's a bit difficult sometimes but I, I think I kind of accepted a bit that I'm like that and I try to find the kind of balance in that I know I'm a perfectionist but I try to yeah I think when I cross my boundaries if it's worded or not or if I can maybe organize it different so I don't have to, but yeah. yeah. This is a good moment to go into that process because when you work for a publication, when you're trying to get your pattern into a magazine, then there's a deadline. But when you work at your own designs, you can, you can sell them whenever you like. So that could like enhance your character or work against it. You've just mentioned La Bien-Aimée, and uh, Lina, 
different magazines and different brands in the in the knitting industry that are quite well known. Huge feats for you. So congratulations on those hours right at the beginning of your career. That's amazing. When you want to submit your pattern to a magazine, from the beginning until the end, can you describe that process? If you want to build or grow your business in textile crafts, why don't you join our online community for the small monthly contribution of only 10 euros, which is basically $10-ish. You get to hang out, learn from, and share your business and your personal craft journey with all the lovely people there. Support the podcast at the same time, and you get everything wrapped into one loving package. I would love to welcome you there. Go to patternshift.fm and click community. And while you're there, sign up for our emails so you'll never miss a thing. How that works. I had this feeling I wanted to design quite early, but I felt like first, like I have to learn more. So I learned like crazy that workshops, but knitted also everything that was uh, possible. I was thinking like, okay, if I'm going to design, how am I going to do it? And then I thought like, well, maybe I want to publicate myself in the future. But for now, I didn't want it. In the first instance, I didn't want it. So I, I decided to look for initiatives that I, that I support or that I feel connected to. So the first one was Kate Davies. She had this project, My Place which you could apply for. And it was also more than knitting. It was also making an essay about your place, where you're coming from. So I made quite a personal story for that and a, a beret with her yarn. That was the idea. So that was the first. And I but that's, no, that's, that's not a typical way of submitting your pattern. No, no, no. Well, it was in, in that case typical that you just have to make a proposal with not yet the design, but with your idea and also a bit your story. And then you were selected. So that's that's also how it goes with other publications. But yeah, this was a bit different because it was an essay and it was also about your personal story. So that was the first. And then secondly, I applied for Lana for, what was it? 52 weeks of easy knits, which is also a beret. Actually, I sent in a few and they chose one. So that was a bit amazing because, you know, I knew that normally, well, if you send in, you're not always selected, but immediately I was selected for Kate Davies and then for Lena. Well, and then I saw this, this. Can you just, can you just send it, send in your pattern? No, no, no. There's a specific. Well, maybe you can, I don't know actually, but they make a submission call for a publication with a deadline. And that's normally quite a tight deadline with Lena, like a month, you have a month to, to, to apply. And then you have to apply with a story, but also with a swatch and with a sketch. But I had this barrette. I just made it because I, I was just making it. So I already had it finished. So I made some nice photos of my daughter. So it was a finished barrette, actually. So I could do that quite quickly. And I sent it in and I was selected. So I was very happy. And then... I saw this call from Labiana May and it was called Mixing Bases. And I already was busy with this idea about the different gauges. 
and explicitly asked for designs that that combine different yarns or gauges or structures. So I thought oh, I will send that in. Yeah, is a yarn brand. Yeah, it's actually quite a big company now. I think she's a yarn dyer, but she's also making books. This was the call for her second book, so I sent it in, and I was selected. So with Lena, you just apply. They do submission calls, so I would suggest you check their Instagram. I think it will also be on their website, but they first announced it on Instagram and I think also Facebook. If you're on in their newsletter system, you also get it. So they do a submission call and you should really check it because what I say, you have about a month, you apply, you have to make a sketch, a swatch, well, you send it in and quite quickly and within two, three weeks, you'll hear if you've been selected or not. And then you'll get a time frame for this barrette. It was short because I'd already finished it. So I only had to write a pattern and do a test knit. But I think that depends a bit on, on how large your project is, etc. And they propose you a payment. And then you you go ahead. And, and you make always make a sample. I already had one finished, so I made another sample for them. So I made two samples and a pattern. I had a pattern tested by six test netters, which test netters are really important in the process because you write a pattern, but they will knit your written pattern and check if you've written it in a logical way or if it's all, if it's correct. And then a tech editor from Nana will also check it. And then they make the photos, really nice photos. It goes into print, but between sending it in, I think that was last year, November, and it was published a year later. So you have to be patient and realize that it takes a lot of time before your design will actually appear. Yeah. Yeah. It's and it long. sounds like it would be quite smart to have a bunch of designs, a couple of designs ready for whenever the submission call comes out then you just see what matches their request and then you have a bunch of the work done because sometimes it's about themes as well, isn't it? Yeah, it is handy to have something. It's not always possible. You know, now, yeah, it was also because I was starting, I had some ideas lying and just sent those in. And with La Bienna May, it was a bit different and it was actually quite nice because normally it's just digital, just email actually. But with them, I had Zoom meetings. And May also is a very inspiring person and also really knows how to challenge you, which is really nice. So, and we of course had to talk about which yarn, etc. So with La Biena May, I sent in a basic idea, but then I got their yarns or actually all minis and I made a whole new design with the same principle of the gauges, but the whole look of the design was very different. Did you have a longer period of time to work on that? Yeah, well, yeah, but still it was quite tight because in the first instance they wanted to publicate it already this fall, but then because of the war in Ukraine and the printing problems, it got later. So I had my pattern finished already 1st of June mm. and also my first sample. Yeah, so that was also quite tight deadline, but you, you, normally they also tell that in the submission call, what is the time frame, so you also know where you sign into. Right, okay. So then moving back a few steps, let's say you came up with an idea for something. 
First of all, what inspires you? And let's talk through the process of the designing. That can be a lot of things. Art a lot, but also knitting traditions. That's what I've been doing the years before, studying all kinds of knitting traditions and techniques. The bow spirit, for instance, is a Swedish knitting technique, but also a whole movement of women, actually. That's, that's what I find also very inspiring. Yeah, it was in the in depression. Men didn't have work, and then women started their own business, actually, by knitting and by knitting haute couture sweaters also for, well, at a certain point, very famous people. But it also made them more and more independent. So it was also like a feminist movement, which is very interesting. But also the knitting is just amazing. It's beautiful work. So I followed workshop with Lorette Carmen, and then I got to know it and I've been studying and knitting it. So yeah, knitting traditions are an inspiration, but also nature where I lived, you know, I've made some fades for La Piana May. Can you explain what fades are? A fade is colors that, you know, that fade that go from one color into the other. Yeah. It's, it's color work, knitting color yeah. work, where it seems like colors blend yeah, into each yeah. other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For La Biana May, I've done something with neons and then it lights up in the middle. So then you're inspired by nature and by old knitting techniques, different kinds of things. And you have this inspiration and you, you go home and then what, what's next? Yeah. But it's not like then I see it in the sea and then I immediately go knitting it at home. It doesn't work like that. It goes somewhere in the back of my head. All these things for this, I was also inspired by traditional Kulo hats from Peru. They use these bright colors as well. So it all goes in my head and then, you know, I get yarn and then the yarn, it all starts with the yarn for me. I get the yarn and the texture and the colors of the yarn. Then I actually just start swatching and trying out ideas. All my knitting wear designs came from swatching, just making little samples and see what works and what not. I sometimes make a lot of swatches before I find... Like sketching. Yeah, it's like sketching. It's a slow process because you know you can work hours on little swords and before you see if what you had in your mind works so what i do now sometimes to check my ideas beforehand is use a computer program stitch fiddle in which you can make color charts mostly i make color work so then i try out first in stitch fiddle and get a bit of idea how it looks before and sometimes try different color combinations before i start swatching and that can help to speed yeah. up the process. You don't use like crayons or watercolor or things like that? No, this goes quicker. Because yeah, you can really. easy also, you know, paste it and make it larger and zoom in and out and yeah. then you get an idea how it looks from a bit worse. Smart enough, harder, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do I do have crayons and things and yeah sometimes but I'm I'm not a huge drawer. I, I don't. So then you, you have your swatch. And then the next thing is, do you know what it will become before you make a swatch? Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. And then Burundi, our head is quite simple. But for La Biena May, I made a sweater in ten, 10 sizes. So then it's not only about the idea, because you have an idea for colors and for this fade and the middle, but then it has to fit into then it becomes really, really technical because it has to fit into a certain amount of stitches for 10 sizes and it has to fit 
in every size. And yeah, I wanted to be, I wanted to, to, to connect. So, and to be lined up vertical. Yeah. The bows doesn't without getting into the, the deep technical bits about it. Where do you get your information? How do you learn to grade your sizes? We've mentioned it briefly, but you didn't have a design education. You, you came from the theater. And so how did you learn to do that? I don't even think there is an education for it because I did Fashion Academy for two years. I've read all the knitting books about grading, but then still, you know, there are no standards for it because it all depends on your yarn, your gauge, and also the, the color work pattern you use. So you can study and read about it, but in the end, you have to make your own calculations. There's no standard for it. So, you know, then you get an idea of how you have to build it. I'm thinking spreadsheets. Yeah. Yeah. I have Excel sheets or pages of numbers. Yeah. That's how I do it. Yeah. You also have, have to be a bit technical and like it. I cannot say that I like that the most, but in the, in the end, when it works out, it, it is a kind of puzzle. So I do enjoy to figure it out. I think I like the swatching far more, yeah. but this is also quite a challenge to make it work and yeah and it's a difference is in my personal opinion between being a designer or being able to knit something that's beautiful that's what i was because yeah that was, was what, what i was thinking that's the difference designing for yourself is easy because you know you can just figure out and change it a bit and you know if you have to make one size it's not so difficult for one size you can easily adjust something but if it has to work for 10 sizes yeah, you need a more firm base and the base <laughs> should be correct. And then, yeah, you know, I have just one chart that you can, or two charts I have for all the sizes. So that's the difference. So if you want to become a designer, you know, the designing is maybe one third. And I think the technical part and also the test knitting and then working with the tech editor, I think is two thirds of it. And that also quite surprised me. And it is a difference if you knit a hat or a beret or a sweater because a sweater yeah. of course is technically or if you do just three sizes and I yeah. think and I'm guessing there's a reason why you do a wide array of sizes yeah I wanted to be size inclusive but I also think that's the standard now if you want to be in publications they also do ask for that but I also, because for the Kate Davies I, I only needed to do one size but I did three because I myself always like it because if you have more sizes, you can also play with the yarn. If you have a bit thicker yarn, you choose a size a size smaller. Well, I always yes. like to have more sizes on my hand when I knit because I never knit exactly the pattern as it is. Yeah, a lot of yeah. people do that. But then you have your Excel sheets with gazillion numbers. <laughs> and what's the next step in the process? Do you start knitting? Yeah, I already was knitting. <laughs> All the time. Yeah, what I did for this, because that was limited time, I made a swatch, a big swatch about the front of my chest and where all the calculations were in. So that was the base. I made a pattern of that and then I sent it to the test netters and started knitting the first sample myself. Normally I would first knit a sample myself, but there was no time for that. So I did that simultaneously. But I write a pattern first because I also want to knit my own pattern. I always do that. I write it and then I knit my own pattern before, or in this case, I'll send it to the testers. 
And then pattern writing, you cannot just start writing. It's a specific language. Yeah. Is there a course you can take? Is it books that you read? Is it just copying what other people are doing? How do you land on a certain way of writing the pattern? Because sometimes, if I remember correctly, you get a list of how a certain publication is using the terms. Yeah. It should all be general and it should be the same, but it really isn't. No. So how did you learn to do that? By just doing it. Yeah. From the publications, not from Kate Davis, but from Lerne and La Bienna May. Lerne is actually also the publisher of the La Bienna May book. You get a style sheet that says, well, it gives quite a clear direction of how you should construct your pattern or how you should mention things. But that's, of course, still not a pattern. Doing it, looking at other patterns, which you found pleasurable to knit, for example. Well, I've been test knitting a lot before I became designer myself. And you learn so much from that. I also still do it and enjoy it. From test knitting, you also learn how a pattern is made. So I think I actually learned most from that and not from books. Well, that's a great tip. Yeah. That's a great tip. Yeah, because you get like the inside information, but you also see by, by netting and reviewing patterns, you get more insight on how it's constructed. Testing is a very important part of the design process. It's where you connect to knitters that knit your design and give you feedback. It's like proofreading a book, right? Can you yeah. tell me a little bit about that process? Yeah. How you find people and how that works? How do you communicate with them? Yeah, what they also do, they often knit it in different yarns, so they also give very important information about yardage and how it works in different yarns, which I really enjoy and find very important. Till now, I mostly found them in my own knitting community. So people I knew from knitting nights workshops in Amsterdam and around the Netherlands. And I asked those again, or the, the people that I was really happy with, which were most of them, for the next test knit. But then for the 10 size sweater, I, I didn't have all sizes. So I also searched further, asked people that I didn't know so well, but I knew from Instagram that I knew I had the size. And in the end, I also put a call on it's called the fastest test knit. So that's especially <laughs> for plus size to make the knitting world more size inclusive. So you can do a call there and they, they are a platform actually. And so I found some people there for very small and very big sizes. So it's not only for big sizes. But did you also them. get a wider deadline? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that's the problem. Huh? For, for big sizes, it also takes longer. And my experience was that, yeah, these people I had less connection with. It's also yeah. hard to find plus size. Yes, yeah. and especially with because I had a test the tight deadline. So they had between April and June to finish. Mm -hmm. They didn't have to finish the last sleeve, but it was really quite tight. Yeah. So that, I, I wear usually from what is now quote unquote normal, I wear the third biggest size yeah. usually. And it takes me typically 
two months to knit a sweater if I do it outside of my normal job and in my spare time. And that means that I can't knit anything else. So it's quite a commitment. Definitely. And what does, what do test knitters get in return? Yeah. They'll do it. Yeah. Well, you said one important thing. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot to learn. And it's also fun because I tested it a lot for Anna Maltz, which is a wonderful designer. So you also get kind of sneak preview in her mind and her way of working. But I then I think already had some design aspirations. But I think other people, I talked to a testnetter, one of my testnetters that always testnets for me. And she says, yeah, I just like to stimulate and enable you as a designer to make these things. And I think it's inspiring to be in that process, but also to support you to be able to do that. So that's also what I do. I testnet for people that I I like their designs. I like how they work. Sometimes there's also friends like from Cynthia, from the toys. I always test for her because I also want to support their work and support. Yeah, I know how difficult it is to find good test netters. So I want to help them. So, yeah, and some people really like, I think, the idea to have a, a sneak of an early view of a pattern. And you get it for free. Some people say that, but I think like a pattern is five or seven euros, max 10 euros. So that's. What's a real big gift. I've, so, I must say, I, I wish I could pay my test netters or give them yarn to knit because I think. Yeah, that's what's my next yeah. question because you're kind of expected to knit it with your own yarn. So it's actually also a great way to get rid of some stash. Definitely. If you have a match, that's a great way to do it. Yeah, but my experience is that you then don't have it exactly that you have to buy. But yeah, it, it, it can be a really great stash brush. And I always arrange discounts from the yarns that I used. So if you want to use those, you get a discount. But that's still also little because of what you're saying, they invest maybe 100 hours of time for a sweater. So yeah. I think it's so generous and a, and a huge gift. And I hope one day we will be able to pay test knitters or to give them yarn or, you know, yeah, I think. Do you think like the big names do pay test knitters or do they kind of rely on the fact that they're big names yeah. and people want to test yeah. knit? Yeah, that's kind of a, that's interesting balance there, isn't it? Isn't I it? don't think test knitters are paid maybe for really big yarn, but that's more, I think, than sample knitting. I've done that too. Not, you get yeah, paid for that. Yeah. But how is that like testing is even more, it's even harder than sample knitting, I think. Yeah. Because you also have to report back and talk about it. Yeah. The, the, the test knitting thing is something that I think is very important and interesting. And this might be a good moment to share with the audience that in the Yavol community, I've opened up the possibility for designers to have your own test knitting space. And that means that a space in the community where you can communicate through video, text, sound files. You can go live. You can have chats. You can upload your patterns and you can do basically everything you need to do in one space together with the test editors. And they can also connect with each other. So that would potentially also take a little bit away from your work as a designer. I heard somebody talk about this and I thought this is a great idea. So if you are a designer and if you want to try out Test Knitter Space, just send me an email at info at ya-vol.com or go to the website. 
and then we can set up a space. It is completely free for designers. It's completely free for test dinners. This is kind of my way to give something back to the designing industry because it's so hard to make a buck when you just start out. Yeah. And I know you don't have to pay for, I don't know, a Google document or, or email, but usually those are so many different kind of spots where you connect with everybody. And I have the possibility to offer it all in one spot. Yeah, so, that's really um, wonderful. Because for my first, I used Google Doc and then I went to Slack, which is a bit similar. But, you know, <laughs> you're let in for free and then they throw you out and I lost everything. Oh but, my gosh. Yeah, they don't tell you. Do that. No, <laughs> they don't tell you beforehand, you know, and people, indeed, that's the nice thing about it. It's also a little community. So I think that's also makes it interesting for test knitters to be in this community community they share with each other their progress their photos i share things so that makes it also a far more interesting process than just working in a google doc so and that also because you are in the bigger level community you could actually i asked the people that are in the community and most of them are very enthusiastic about being testers and if you need more or other people you can dip into the bigger community and ask people if they want to join you. So yeah, that's, that's fantastic because it is hard to find test netters, especially for larger projects with, with tighter deadlines. Now mm. it's really wonderful that you're offering this. Cool. You're welcome. I'm glad you like the idea. So we've landed on test knitting and once the test knitting is done, what happens next? Yes, test knitting is done. You send your pattern to the publisher and then... Normally, you have a tech editor who goes through your pattern and checks everything again. Lana definitely did that with La Bienna May. I think there were even three. And what I did there for designers was actually quite nice. I also had a tech editor before it went to the testers. And I think that's also quite generous to your test testers to not send them. Well, my pattern was not messy, but it can be messy maybe to send them a pattern that is as finished as possible, especially for a larger project like a sweater that has been checked. It's also a question of time and money, but if it's possible, that is quite nice because then the testers really read the almost finished pattern and have a better knitting experience, but can also really focus on, not on details, but well, not on mistakes because normally those would be taken out, but more on the process. And But then after it also went to a tech editor, well, then it's finished. And then I, I needed another sample for both Len and La Bienna May. And then they do the photography. Yeah. And With that sample that you talk about. Yeah. yeah. But you can also, if you don't have sample and you're working on your other sample, you can have somebody else knit that the sample if you like, right? There's also a way to do yeah, the other samples by La Bienname, I think, were knitted by sample knitters. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's basically the whole process. Yeah. Except for one thing. I'm very curious to, to hear, how do you feel about pricing in our industry when it comes to knitting pattern designs? Yes, well, that has always surprised me, the price of knitting patterns. And even a lot of people prefer a free pattern. Well... You know, if you would knit a sweater, you spent about 100 hours with a pattern. Why only pay 5, 6 or 10 euros? Because a good or bad pattern also makes a lot of difference for your knitting experience. I always try to write patterns that are also fun to knit. 
Gonna work, for instance, which I made in the in the sweater is looks quite complicated, but in knitting it's a nice rhythm, an easy rhythm to follow. So it always surprised me that even ten years is so little. Also, if you compare it, they ask much more for sewing patterns. Well, I think well the work that goes in it is is equal, or maybe even more with knitting. But it probably has to do with that the knitting industry, yeah, has maybe not totally been professionalized yet so i hope it will be and maybe i will start an and i think that you are in the and and we walk around the indie side of things yeah it's big magazines sometimes they don't even get named no publications i i'm i'm thinking they'll pay more and maybe also for testing and sample i don't know about that but yeah, and that's also why a lot of designers at a certain point start teaching and, and teaching their specific look or the techniques that they tend to use or just appearing on festivals to get extra income. Almost like being a balance, right? Yeah. You, you have to find different ways to, to earn a living, but then the traveling also takes a lot of time and so it's not like it's definitely not easy money. No, if you want 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 easy money, you should not start designing. I think you have, you need another ambition or or motivation <laughs> than money. But uh, and for me, teaching I really enjoy teaching because you know I'm here on my attic in the north of the Netherlands, working alone or with people digitally. But I really like to meet the knitters and to work with them. So for me, teaching, of course, you earn a bit of money with that, but it's also about connecting with people, which makes it really, really nice and interesting. In general, it's for me, not something I can easily live from now. No, that was that was going to be my next question. I mean, you know me, so you were expecting that. Probably. <laughs> yeah, but so... That would mean that you have to, let's just go like really general, that you'd have to design two or three sweaters a month to be able to make a living when you just work from publications. There's like no way you can do that because you just described how many hours go into making one design. So there's different strategies and you also, you already talked about it. I think you're, you're being really smart in getting into publications first to kind of build your name. But after that, it would be smart to do your own thing, right? Yes. I, but of course you have to do all the photography, the PR yourself. But I think for the pattern sales, if you're a bit a name and successful, I think that is more a moment more rewarding financially. I saw that with the Kate Davis pattern that is actually in my own pattern sales, but I decided to donate that pattern sale to the ocean cleanup because it is about the ocean where I live. But I did see by what came in that that's more lucrative. So, because what happens is you, you put it on either your own website or, or a website like Ravelry and you can keep selling it and the, and the amount like up till 10 euros a pattern. Yeah. And then for every sale, you get that money. And then with the publication, you just get paid once. Not for every time somebody buys the book or the magazine. No, no, but you do get after a year and with some after healthy, then you'll get the pattern rights back. And then you can 
they will sell, still sell the book, but you can also sell it as a single present. Normally, that is the deal, and it, the period depends on the publisher. Of course, yeah, in the first year or half year, there's the most buzz around it, but still, that's a nice, and you can use their photography normally, and well, they have paid yeah. for the tech editor, so that's quite nice too. What I was a bit shocked about, but maybe that is being unexperienced, is that you say you can sell and sell and you get the money, but so much goes to PayPal, for instance. That's really ridiculous. But you have to have your own websites. Yeah, but then still, I think. Yeah, that goes a little, but it depends on what paying system you use. Because it's not referee. They are quite... Okay, that that percentage is quite nice. But if you have your own website, you don't have to work with PayPal. You can, but you don't have to. And Etsy is notoriously bad. So don't do that. It seems really easy and it is in ways, but they kind of eat all your money. So yeah, I would say as soon as you can, and why not just move into this topic, investing in your starting business. And what do you invest in and how can you make it grow? First of all, we need to know, as we are going through this whole journey with you, from your perspective, do you want to make this your full-time job or do you see this as a hobby with an extra or do you have plans or are you growing organically with what happens and, and make decisions along the way? I think a bit unless it's also funny when you talk about my business <laughs> What you say, it's still a baby. I don't feel it's like a real business yet. Yeah, I think I'm also looking along the way, if I like it enough to keep doing it and how I'm going to do it, I'm, I'm going to work still with publications or self-publish. Because I must say, you know, the the impact with La Bienna May, how I landed on the cover even by surprise. I must say, I'm still figuring out if I want to be in publications or self-published, but I did find out that the impact of working with a publisher like Lena and Nabiena May is enormous. They have such a big network. And so, you know, I would never be able to reach all those people myself. The first post of my sweater got like 4,000 likes on Instagram. I would never be able to do that myself. And May was at Folk Knitting Live, did a fashion show. She's now traveling all over the USA and may will make a big trip with the book, you know, so maybe also to Japan. In any way, it's translated in Japanese. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. As a business mentor, I think this is where you are right now makes my fingers itch. Like, you know that. I'm like, okay, this is, this is momentum. You're getting all the attention. What are you doing with the attention? How are you going to use that to propel your business forward? And I'm saying business, because if you don't call your business a business, then it is a different vibe, right? So if something costs you money, it's still a hobby. (laughs) But if you, if it costs you money and you're on your way to, to your goal is to make some money from it, it doesn't have to be much, but to to make you feel good about the amount of work that you're putting in. Because you could decide to make swatches for fun every day, all day. But apparently, you like to do more than just uh, swatches. Yeah. I mean, that depends on where you're coming from. So how do you look at that? And how do you look at 
without like putting words in your mouth. <laughs> How do you look at marketing and, and putting yourself out there as a brand? Do you think about these kinds of things? Yeah, that's what I am thinking about the last few weeks. And I, I think I do want to build a website. But then, you know, I also have to apply for design and then I'm like, yeah, then designing wins it in my case, because, you know, I have this deadline, but I do think I want a a small website where, you know, where I can show some of my designs and a bit of my biography and also not to be totally dependent on Instagram, because I do have a huge audience there now. And it also grew a lot in the past weeks, but to be able to take them a bit along in my further journey if I will continue which I will probably Mm. will although I sometimes I think like how am I ever gonna get over this it's also you know it's been quite an explosion yeah and I think this is this is such an important time for you and I know that the designing is is the biggest thing but just for people listening when you have all this attention it is key if you want to grow to to grasp that attention. And one of the easiest and cheapest ways to do this, like I love, I mean, I've said this before, and I, I only say it if I use it myself and I really love it. I love Flowdesk because Flowdesk is a way that you can collect emails. It's a an email marketing tool and it has just one price. And for that price, you you can grow your audience to infinity. Whereas, I don't know, MailChimp or something, at a certain point, you have to start paying more and more and more. I, I won't get completely into this, but this is, they actually also offer you a way to have a landing page, which is basically the type of website you're talking about. But it does cost money. But if you have to make one decision as, a, as an upcoming business is collect people that are interested in your work and direct them to a space that is yours, that is not social media, because that can change at any moment. And they are fleeting. They are giving you hearts, but you kind of want to connect with them directly. And once you have a new pattern, send it to your fans so they can buy it with one click of the button. I think this is one of the easiest and fastest way to do it. I do have a link with 50% discount. If you do want that link, you can get it in the show notes. So what do you think are your next steps? Designing more. Well, what I wanted to say for people that consider becoming designer in, in any kind of craft, huh? not only knitting, You know, just do it because I always preach that to people. If you really want something and you really, you feel like you want to become something or, 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 or do something, just do it because normally you will put a lot of effort in it and you will probably also succeed. A friend of mine wanted to do a podcast about books, the Wahnsinnige podcast, this is in Dutch. And she was also doubting and I said, just do it. And now she's, you know, she's enormous and it's a big success. Well, I did what I preached to everybody and just went doing it. I remember being in the business group at Seski and I didn't even dare to call myself a designer. And she said, you should. And that was a kind of click in my mind. And I started designing and it worked. I don't know if it will work in the future, but it worked. You know, I, I, I got my designs in publications and just try it. 
because if you never try it, you never know. Also, you don't know if you enjoy it. Just give it a shot. Just try it. See if you enjoy the process and everything that comes with it because you don't know yet when you start designing and see if it's something for you. And I'm still kind of in that process. I think it's something for me. But I, I keep asking myself, do I still enjoy it? Is this something I want to continue? And you're also never too old to become a designer or to, to stop and to go do something else. I love this. This is a perfect ending to a wonderful conversation. And I, I loved having that specific viewpoint of where you are in your business right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I'm wishing you so many tattoos, so much fun swatching all the different yarns. And hopefully in a while you have people that do the annoying bits for you so you can focus on the, on the great stuff. And thank you so much again, Micah. Thank you, Saskia. It was a joy to be here. You can find Maike's designs on Ravelry under her own name, Maike van Gein. And she's on Instagram at Breijelaar. In the show notes, you'll find the links to where she is and where you can find her beautiful designs. My favorite is Vervel, which is a beautiful yoked sweater pattern that has beautiful neon flowing colors. It's lovely. Go click in the show notes and see her designs there. <laughs>